0: at butcherbox.com slash morning cup and use code morning cup to choose your free for a year offer. Plus get $20 off your first order. Say goodbye. There were two more murders, 15 miles away. When police the arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. A scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... Morning. Of... The body's ability to survive is nothing short of incredible, and today's story illustrates that very fact. On June twenty second, 1977, two young girls were attacked and left for dead two Girls who, by all means, should have never survived what happened to them. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. It was the summer of 1977 when roommates and friends Terry Gents, 19, and Avra Goldman, 20, decided to leave their Yale classmates behind for a bit and cycle across the United States on the newly opened Trans American Trail. After finishing up their route, they ended up in Astoria, Oregon, where they decided to head east and stop in Klein Falls State Park for an overnight on June 22nd, setting up camp alongside the Running River. Terry, when recounting this terrifying night, would claim that she felt unnerved about their location and that both women felt the overwhelming sense of being watched, though they never shared their fears with one another. Terry woke a half an hour later with a jolt when she realized that there was a large truck above her body. When she came to and could piece together what had just happened, Terry realized that a truck had just driven over their tent while they were fast asleep at 1130 at night. At first, she assumed it was a group of partying teens who didn't see their campsite, but as things progressed, she realized that the driver was a cold-blooded killer, or as she would later call him, a single psycho. Terry was pinned to the ground at her chest. Both arms, one leg, collarbone, and several ribs broken in the process and she could feel the air escaping her as the weight of the car crushed her lung. A man then exited the vehicle, axe in hand, and struck Avra six times in the head. When he was finished, Avra quickly approaching death, the unknown man then stood over Terry, ready to finish her off. In her own words... I looked up at him and opened my eyes and I said, take anything but leave us alone. Please leave us alone. He brought the ax down slowly and I caught it in my hands right above my heart. Grabbed the blade in my hands and then he withdrew it. The man straddling her was a meticulously dressed cowboy. Boots, pant legs and shirt tucked in neatly. But from her angle, Terry couldn't get a good look at the man's face. And as he withdrew his axe from Terry's hands, he stepped back over the dying woman, got back into his truck, and disappeared as fast as he arrived. Despite the fact that she had literally been run over, Terry was somehow able to collect herself, get up, and stumble to the nearby road to flag down help. When Bill Penhollow and Darlene Garvis, two teenagers, stopped to help the mystery woman on the side of the road, she had blood dripping from her hair, almost like a character from a horror movie. She then directed the pair to the campsite and to Avra. Just after midnight on June 23rd, police arrived at the scene and, while the girls were rushed to seek medical attention, they worked to learn whatever they could from the campsite. They were able to find tracks left in the dirt, and with that, they determined that the vehicle likely had two bald tires in the rear, while one of the tires in the front was possibly bald and the other had significant tread. While this was helpful, they knew that the best course of action would be to get a description from the victims. After being taken to St. Charles Medical Center, where Avra went through a nine-hour emergency brain operation, Terry tried to speak with police about what she saw the night of the attack. Unfortunately, despite her vivid description of what the man was wearing and the sequence of events, Terry was unable to see the man's face, and with her memory being compromised due to serious brain trauma... Avra was unable to give any additional information. But remarkably, both girls managed to survive the attempted murder. Weeks passed before a viable lead came through, and when it did, they only added more mystery to the already perplexing case. A woman in Redmond claimed that she was told the attacker was a local man named Richard Dick Dam, just 17 years old. Police brought him in for questioning several times and discovered that he had been in a fight with his girlfriend, a girl named Janie Fraley, on the night of the attack, but would not disclose his specific whereabouts. And when Janie Fraley was asked about where her boyfriend was, she claimed that the fight never happened, though the pair were known for their domestic issues. While he seemed like a viable suspect, right build, record of violence, and a truck similar to the one driven by the attacker there was no direct evidence against Dick Dam. In fact, when the tires of his truck were looked at, they didn't match the imprints left at the campsite, so he was never arrested. Then there was another suspect, a man named Richard Wayne Bud Godwin, who was imprisoned after the attacks for the murder of a five-year-old child whose skull he used as a candle holder. According to the investigation on the night of Terry and Ava's attack, A relative of Richard's, one with whom he was having a sexual relationship with, was staying at Klein Falls Park. While police considered him a suspect, Terry said that he did not resemble the physique of the man who attacked her. So, years passed, and as the girls grew up and recovered from the attack, Terry losing all memory of the incident, the case grew colder. Terry became plagued with phobias, her life forever affected by what happened to her when she was a teenager. But as days became weeks, became months, became 15 years, Terry decided she needed to take control of her past and picked up the trail for herself. She bravely returned to Redmond with a video camera and a notepad, meticulously combing through every inch of the long-destroyed crime scene, as well as police reports from her attack. Unfortunately, one of the first things she learned was that, due to the statute of limitations, even if she found the ax man. He could never be brought to justice, but she was angry enough that she decided to press on regardless. And when she did, she found out she and Ava weren't the only two victims of this dangerous man. As it turned out, less than 24 hours after the Klein Falls axe attack, a high school boy attacked a girl with his bare hands. A girl named Janie Fraley. Not only had Dick Dam assaulted his girlfriend on the night of the attack. But over the course of the last 30 years, he had compiled a long list of convictions for things like carrying a dangerous weapon, violating a restraining order, and driving under the influence. According to Janie, he was like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. He showed up at a park drunk that night, hit her, kicked her, spit on her, and told her I'm going to kill you, bitch, after she managed to get away and jump into a nearby pond. Her family tried to press charges, but were told that, because they were both minors, to just leave it be. But she never forgot what happened, and never forgot how, just after the night of the attack, Dick changed out the tires on his truck, and that the toolbox that was usually inside was strangely missing, a toolbox that always had a hatchet inside. She also never forgot how, after realizing that her boyfriend and the Klein Falls attacker may have been one and the same, she went to the scene of the crime to see the tire tracks. They were a match for the ones that Dick removed. Unfortunately, her certainty wasn't enough to call police, at least not back then. After reopening the case in 1995, they gave Dick Dam a polygraph test, which came back inconclusive and had to take a second. This time, the results came back as deceptive, though the validity of these results would later be called into question when it was discovered that he was under the influence of methamphetamine at the time. Unfortunately, like back in 1977, without physical evidence, there was very little they could do, especially since the statute of limitations had run out. So, though many know Richard Dam is the killer, he walked away scot-free. In 2006, Terry Jens published a book recounting the attack called Strange Piece of Paradise, showing her strength and resilience despite almost losing her life all those years ago. After living a life of fear, the book and the investigation helped her to reclaim both her and Avra's story. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to do what terrible thing happened on June 23rd. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime-obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe.